Hey guys, I uh, just want to welcome everybody this morning. God bless you. Uh, this is part four of uh, Hope Restored. We've been talking about the importance of hope for the last, uh, now will be four weeks. And uh, uh, we, uh, we have the title of God in the scriptures. He's called the God of hope. And uh, he's all about uh, giving hope to his kids. And so we pray this morning that you'd get a fresh impartation of hope. Let's just pray one more time. So, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, for uh, the Word of God and uh, what you have in store for us to communicate to us. It's your love letter to us. And so we pray this morning that our hearts would be open to all that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, like, at the close of one of my previous messages, I shared with you about the importance of speaking back the promises of God to God. Uh, reminding God, putting God in remembrance of what he has promised us. Not that he's forgetful, okay, of course, uh, but it's a covenant principle. It's a kingdom principle that God delights when we remind him of what he's promised. For instance, I said, if, if you have a need, and, and one of the things that I did was uh, I held up a little promise book, and uh, I shared with you that uh, I have a, a book up in my office. It's about all the promises of God in, in different categories. And, and, and for example, th- this is what I said we need to do. We need to make the promises of God our vocabulary or our language when we're speaking back to God. In other words, something like this. If you have a need, uh, you, you, you say to God, God, did you not say in Philippians 4.19 that you will meet all of my needs by your riches and glory in Christ? If you have a need for healing, you can say something like, God, did you not say in Psalm 103 that you forgive all of our sins and you heal all of our diseases? And, and so that becomes the vocabulary. And I held up that little promise book, but somebody graciously uh, has, uh, has purchased copies of uh, God's promises, and it says underneath that, it says, for every need. And there's categories here. And they're available. We've got five out on the, uh, in the lobby right now. They're available, and there's more coming in. So if anybody would like one, uh, please, uh, you know, take one right after the service and uh, look for them over the next several weeks as well. I just, just, just think it's cool, right? Just, just saying it's cool, right? Uh, some of you might remember that uh, in one of the previous messages I, I shared, because uh, the basis of this whole uh, series is Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans that I have toward you, says the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope in the future. I, said, I have a coffee mug that has that scripture on it. Love it. I, coffee tastes better with this co- coffee. It's just true. It's, it's really true. And I said, and I said they, have, they have plaques with that scripture. They have posters with that scripture. They have bracelets with that scripture. They have T-shirts. And then when I said T-shirts, I just... Just came out of my mouth. I said, I'd love a T-shirt that, that has that scripture on it. Somebody graciously went out and got me a T-shirt, right? Isn't that cool? It says, I know the plans that I have toward you, says the Lord plans to give you a hope in the future, right? Isn't that cool? And that, just saying, it's cool, right? <laughs> H- have I told you how fond I am about Bermuda? <laughs> I mean, did I have a burden on my heart for the lovely little people who live on the island of Bermuda. I j- just say, just, just saying, all right? All right, so I have a question, all right? And, and uh, I want to pose this question to us this morning, and here's the question. Where do we turn when life hurts? <laughs> Bermuda, no, no, no. Where do we turn when life hurts? That's a serious question, because listen, there's nobody that goes through this life without disappointments, pain, and, you know, difficulty, right? 
But what I've learned, let me tell you, let me tell you what I've learned as, as a Christian over the last 40-something plus years, and, and, and that is that, that the, at our very lowest, God's grace is at its highest. When we experience times of difficulty, when we're at our lowest, God's grace is at its, at its best or at its highest. And, and I just want, want, want you to know that his grace is sufficient for us in every circumstance, in every condition, in every situation. And learning how to receive the grace of God and discovering that God, the Bible says, he gives grace unto the humble. In fact, the Bible even says that he gives more grace. So grace is God's enablement. Grace is God's power. Grace is God's ability. Grace is God coming alongside of us and helping us through every situation. Now, I want to give you a couple examples of what not to do when you are in trouble or when you find yourself in a crisis, okay? It's important to know what not to do as well as what to do. Abraham is an example. Okay, what, what not to do. Genesis 12, 10 has these ominous words, right? He finally reaches, God calls him out of one area called the, the land of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he goes, to, he goes to the promised land. And while he's in the promised land, right? The, here's the words. Now there was a famine in the land. God directs him to go to the promised land, and there's a famine in the land. Isn't that a contradiction? You know, it, it, it's like an oxymoron. It's like, it's like jumbo shrimp or like freezer burn. You know, promised land, famine. It doesn't go together. It's a, it's a, it's a contradiction. Sometimes, sometimes, even the promised land has a famine. But see, this is what I've also discovered is that God will lead us. He will take us to the very place where we have our greatest need. God will lead us, God will take us to the place where we have our greatest needs so that we will discover that his grace is at its highest when we're at our lowest. So, so I want you to listen to this statement. Sometimes the very place that God brings us to is the place where we have our greatest need. Last week I said that the loss of hope in a crisis is the greater crisis, that the loss of hope in a crisis becomes a crisis in itself. And so hope deferred, the Bible says, or hope lost makes the heart sick. But when it is restored, it becomes a tree of life. Because we said last week that hope acts like an anchor upon the soul, gives us stability when life becomes chaotic. How many have ever had life become chaotic to you from time to time? Sure, there's nobody that gets through life without that experience. Unfortunately, Abraham doesn't do well in his crisis. What Abraham does is he doesn't consult with God. He doesn't turn to God. He runs. You know, we have a, an either. They say that, that in the midst of a crisis, we have either a flight or a fight response. And Abraham ran down to Egypt, didn't wait on the Lord, didn't, didn't get God's direction, but took matters into his own hands, leaned upon his own understanding and said, I'm going down to Egypt. Wrong place to go to. In fact, regrettably, things got a whole lot worse before they got a whole lot better. David, take David as an example of what not to do. David is being relentlessly pursued or, or hunted by King Saul. And it's over a long period of time. And, and David intellectually, like many of us, intellectually, David said, 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. David said, the Lord will rescue me from every trouble. That was his intellectual perception of his problems. But three verses later, David said, and we discover what was really in his heart. The Bible says that David said in his heart, I will now one day die by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me to do than to go and escape to the land of the Philistines. Philistines? David, that's your plan? To, to escape, to go to the land of the Philistines? Goliath, Philistine? Goliath has four brothers? You, you killed the Philistine champion, and you want to go to the land of the Philistines to find security? That doesn't make any sense. David, like so many of us, sometimes go from the fry pan right into the fire. We make things worse by leaning to our own understanding. When I was a young man, in my teens still, you know, 18, 19, 20, uh, I, I got in trouble quite a bit. Um, and uh, I many times would turn to my dad for advice and for direction, and, and uh, I miss my old dad, but... But uh, I, I would turn to him, and, 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 and Dad would say, he, he would, he, you know, especially when there was something that was, you know, in the distance or something in the future, you know, that, that, that hadn't been upon me yet. He, he would always say this, and, and you got to know that I've said this probably a dozen times to my kids, and my son probably sitting now, he knows exactly what I'm going to say. What am I going to say? One or two, well, just say the one, the one thing. Not that one. <laughs> What's the other one? Right. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Dad say, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. In other words, it's saying, we'll deal with that problem when the time comes. And you know what? It used to just bring a sense of peace upon me. You see, what dad didn't say was, you'll cross that bridge when you get there. He didn't say, you'll deal with that when the time is right. He said, and it was always about together, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, and we'll deal with that when the time is right. That sense of, of knowing that I wasn't in this by myself, that there was somebody who was a little older than me, a little wiser than me, and a little bit more financially blessed than me to be able to stand with me. And I want to tell you something. I know what it's like to have a, a, an earthly father's encouragement and comfort, but I also know what it's like to have a heavenly father who, 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 says, who says to me and says to you, when you cross that bridge, I'll be with you. When you deal with that problem, it won't be you by yourself. It will be us together because I will not leave you nor forsake you. See, even giants of faith like Abraham and David had to come through a learning experience that they are not to trust in themselves, but to trust in the living God who, whose grace is sufficient for us in every situation. I've, I've shared with you some of the observations in previous messages about a doctor by the name of Viktor Frankl who was a, uh, a prisoner of war during uh, Nazi Germany. He was in Auschwitz for three years. And uh, th th this is one of his observations that I wanted to share with you. He, he said this. He says, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts 
comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. He says that they were few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. They could take away your freedom, but no one can take away the attitude with which you view those circumstances, the freedom to choose as opposed to just simply acting or reacting to the situation. And you know what? This is what, this is what the word of God says for us. This is the attitude that God wants us to have. He wants us to have a God-shaped attitude in every circumstance that we face. Listen to what James says. Have an attitude of pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, there's a divine design in everything that our Heavenly Father chooses for us. Some people, some people panic in a, in a time of crisis, and, and they run, and they only make things a lot worse. You know, I would rather be known, you know, for being, you know, like that commercial, cool, calm, and collected, you know? I, I'd rather be, be known for having nerves of steel than being the man of steel, you know? How many of you saw that new movie, Superman movie, The Man of Steel? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah. Listen, that was my first tweet, you know? Uh, we, signed, we signed up for, twi- for Twitter. Twitter? Yeah, that's right. On, on Wednesday, and that was my first tweet on, on Thursday after I saw the movie, right? And I, I said this, not impressed with The Man of Steel, but I'm always impressed with Jesus, the true superhero. Right? That was my first Tweet. And you know what? We had a discussion in a staff meeting. The, the guys, they loved, they loved the Man of Steel. Me, not so much, you know? And, and they wanted to know why. I said, I don't know. I grew up watching Superman on TV. You know, to me, he was like, you know, uh, the mild-mannered reporter, you know, uh, for a newspaper, right? I mean, you'd see him, and, and, and there would be the transition from his suit and tie to his to his his cape and his, and his leotards, right? Remember that? You remember the promo for, for the beginning of the show? You know, what's, what's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound? You know, right? Remember that? Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman, <laughs> you know? I love it. I grew up with it. You know, and, and Superman would stand there with his hands on his hips when the bad guys would empty their guns, right? Shoot bullets at him, and you'd see the bullets bounce off his chest. And the thing that, the thing that was so fascinating to me when I was a kid was that after, after the bad guys emptied their guns, you know what they would always do with their gun? I mean, the bullets didn't work. They would throw the gun at Superman. And you know what Superman would do? He would duck. Not even Superman wants to be hurt in this life, right? I mean, isn't that funny? The bullets don't hurt him, but maybe, it, maybe this will hit me in the face, you know? <laughs> I don't know. But listen, God has a better way. God has a better way of dealing with the stuff that comes at us. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, so awesome is our God. In the life of Paul, Paul is an example 
of what to do in the midst of a crisis. And we're going to look at an event that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And uh, it it was a a difficult experience, and we'll get into it, and we'll explain exactly what that experience was. But before we do that, I want to just read a few verses, right? Uh, The Arabs have a saying, and that saying goes like this, that all sunshine in a person's life makes for a desert. Think about that. If all you have in your life is sunshine, it creates a desert. In other words, it, 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 it kind of goes together with our platitude or, or cliche that says, into each life a little rain must fall. It's necessary. Listen, life isn't all sweet, and it's not all bitter. It, it's it's, it's a, a, a mixture of both. The danger of a so-called charmed life is that you become independent, and you think that you can go through this life by yourself. And that is, that is just a fallacy. So we pick up in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, and you can follow along with us uh, on the screen. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Now, I want you to notice, keep that verse up for a minute. I want you to notice in in, in two short verses, Paul uses the word comfort four times. In fact, in the section that we're looking at this morning, Paul uses the word comfort nine times. And in fact, in this letter called the letter to the second, or second letter to the Corinthians, he uses the, the word comfort 21 times. So, so th- this, this message of Paul is really all about, about receiving comfort. He says that God has a monopoly on two things. No, number one, God is a father of compassion. I, I hope you know that our heavenly father is filled with tenderness and compassion. As a father who has compassion for his children, so the Lord takes compassion or pity upon his children. We can put our trust in that fact. And the other monopoly that God has, Paul says, he's the God of all comfort, not just some comfort, but the God of all comfort. Verse 5 says this, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, that is, that is because Jesus was despised and hated, Jesus was persecuted, so we likewise will be persecuted will in some measure be despised. In some measure, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution in some measure, right? So also he says, through Christ, our comfort overflows. So, so, so the, the tide of persecution rises in a person's life, but the overflow, what overflows is this comfort that comes from God. So, so get that picture in your mind. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope, and this is where Paul uses the word hope twice in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Now, what's... what? this word comfort, okay, that Paul uses so many times. When we, when we think about comfort, we think about feeling better. 
You know, when we were kids, we had our, our blankie or our binky or whatever it was that you called it. And, and, and some of us didn't ever want to get rid of it. And we held on to it until the ends frayed and, and until the thing was falling apart and walked to the laundry room by itself. How many know what I'm talking about? I remember a telephone call I got on a Sunday afternoon like, like this from one of my sons, Anthony, uh, you know, and, and it was a frantic phone call and it was left on our, our recorder at the house, our answering machine. In fact, in fact, for a couple of years, we left it on there because we would go to it every once in a while when we wanted to have just a little chuckle. Sorry, Anthony, but that's the way that it was. It was frantic. It was, it was and I, I remember it was exactly like this. It, it went like this. Will you kindly pick up one of your four phones, please? And there was a note of desperation in that last, please. You know, I understand that. You see, you see, we left the church, right? And uh, we couldn't be found. You know, we weren't at church. We weren't at home. We didn't answer our cell phones. And it was, it was nap time for Luke. Luke was a toddler at the time. And Luke was not a happy camper without his blankie. And uh, Anthony was not a happy dad without... Lukey's blank, and you could understand that. So, so to us, a lot of times we think of comfort, you know, as being, as being, you know, the thing that makes us feel better. We we talk about comfort food. I'm gonna make you fried chicken, you know, potato chips, ice cream, you know. It's it's called comfort food. It, it's supposed to make you feel better. The other night, Kathy and I were watching uh, Chopped. Any ever watched Chopped? I love Chopped. We were, we were watching an episode of Chopped, and I found out something that they have. I never knew they had this. You know, out of their mystery basket, you know what they come up with? Chicken fried potato chips or, or, or chicken-flavored potato chips. That's two comfort foods in one, you know? <laughs> Must taste disgusting, but, you know, anyway, what will they think of next? But, but let, me, let, me t- let me tell you this. Comfort food will will make you feel better for a little while until all the endorphins leave your brain and, and, and all of the stress hormones come back and they'll come back with inventions. It doesn't help. But the comfort that the Bible is talking about here is not so much consoling and soothing and making you feel better. It's all about God making you stronger, not about God making you feel better. The New Testament calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. What is his job? His, he is called the promise of the Father who comes alongside of the believer and who gives grace, because he's the grace giver, and he gives strength and he gives us the ability to endure every circumstance and every situation we may face. Look at verse 8. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the providence of Asia. That happens to be modern-day Turkey. Uh, we know that to probably be Ephesus or, or Colossae or Laodicea or one of those cities that were there uh, that the New Testament speaks about. He says, We were under great pressure. One translation says, we were pressed out of measure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired, and there it is, there's the loss of hope. We despaired even of life. The language that Paul uses is, he's on overload. 
Have you ever experienced that? Where you felt just overwhelmed. And Paul is saying that this experience that, that we were undergoing was overwhelming. It's like, it's like a ship that is sunk down to the water level because the cargo is more than it can handle. Paul is saying it was more than we could handle. We were pressed out of measure, above strength. We despaired of life itself. Most commentators agree on the fact that, that no one knows exactly which of the dangers that Paul faced. I mean, take, take, your, take your pick. Paul's whole life was one peril, one danger after another. I mean, it was a whole group of guys who took a vow not to eat until they killed Paul. Uh, he was rescued on two occasions from, from mobs, one in Ephesus that almost ripped him apart in pieces had God not intervened. Uh, he, he writes about this later on in this letter about some of the experiences that he had being stoned, being, being beaten with rods, a night and a day adrift in the ocean. I mean, just take your choice. Any of these things could have been absolutely overwhelming to the point where Paul lost hope or Paul despaired even of life. But there was a purpose in all of this. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to get very personal, to open up his heart, and to just be very transparent because it would not only, listen, it not only blessed Paul to discover the outcome of this experience, but it was also meant to strengthen others. When we go through stuff, and we come out the other side and we, 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 we can tell others of the faithfulness of God, of the kindness of God, of the goodness of God, that helps others. You see, this is what I want you to know, that God gives you comfort, strength, and it's not just enough to get you through. It's more than enough for others. Look at verse 9 with me this morning. It says, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, it's like, it's like the judge passed sentence, execution, you're going to die. But this happened that we might not rely or trust in ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And here's the phrase, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. That is hope restored. We have set our hope on him that he will continue. That what Paul is saying is this, that through this learning experience, number one, I am not going to trust or rely on myself. But number two, that if God could bring me through this, then he can bring me through anything. Now, let, let me just say this. Paul was a, was a gracious servant, was a humble servant, was, a, was one of the greatest of the apostles, right? And, and, and yet his view of himself was that he was the chiefest amongst sinners, not worthy to be called an apostle. What a humble man of God he was. Paul, if it wasn't for Paul, stand for the gospel of grace, and Paul was a grace preacher. You know, salvation today would be all about works instead of it being all about the grace, the unmerited kindness and, and the gift of God. We have so much to be thankful for, for, for Paul's stand as a grace preacher. But even Paul, as a grace preacher, was tempted to, struggled with, relying on himself, trusting in himself to get himself out of his own. Listen, 
That is not only foolish when we do, but it is offensive to God. And in fact, it's sinful because what it does is it places self at the center of the universe instead of giving that throne to belongs to one person, to God alone. And so self-reliance, in my opinion, is a form of idolatry because it doesn't give God the place of glory that he deserves. Coffee in a mug like this um, is the beverage of choice for us Americans. And, and that's good. We, we, we love our coffee. Some of you, I know this, if I asked this, I took the time to go around. Some of you said, I only drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee. That's the best coffee in the world. And for others, maybe a little bit, you know, more sophisticated, you know, because I've, I've, I've seen the Starbucks containers around here. You know, you like a nice strong cup of coffee, you know. Starbucks is the only coffee you'll drink, you know. Anything else, you know, 7-Eleven, forget about it, you know. Personally, personally, I like mocha latte. I buy in boxes and I make instant from the dollar store. It's really cool. I like it, right? (laughs) But it's best to drink that when you're sipping it on the beaches of Bermuda. But anyway, that's just to mention, just, just to say but real fanatics about coffee will tell you that, that, that a great cup of coffee depends on how it's brewed. And for the snobbish, you know, uh, coffee drinker, they say, I don't know, they say, I don't have one, is a French press. Anybody hear that? French press. They say French press is the best cu- cup of co- the reason The reason for it being is that the, the, the coffee is ground in a coarse fashion, and it's put in the container, and then you put the boiling water, and you let it sit for about three minutes or so. And then you, you, you take the device, right, and you press those coffee grinds to the bottom. And what rises to the top is the, 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 the true aroma, the oils, and the essence of, of the coffee bean, you know? And it makes for a great cup of coffee. But guess what? It's that pressure that does it. How many things in life, you know, are so cool because, because of pressure, right? Uh, grapes makes wine, right? Uh, coal. You get coal, take a lot of time, put a lot of pressure, and they make diamonds. And who doesn't like diamonds, right? What girl doesn't like a diamond, right? It's the same way in life. It's pressure that brings us to a place of maturity, to a place in God where we have come to discover that the aroma that comes from us now becomes that of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in his next chapter. He says, now thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance or the aroma of his knowledge in every place. Paul says that, that's, that's what we do. We, we diffuse the aroma of Christ. Why? Because we've been pressed in this life. Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. It was the olive press. But even Jesus did not rely on his own strength. Even Jesus did not rely upon his own understanding or his own wisdom. What an example that is to us. In his book, Prayer, Does It Make a Difference? Philip Yancey shares this truth that I wanted to share with you. He says this, He says, where did Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's hall, not on his 
way to Golgotha. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, there he offered up prayers with strong cries and tears unto the one who was able to save him. This is what he writes, his observation. Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he's so broken up, when all he's doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces the real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the same calm confidence of his three sleepy friends? Yet, when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage while his three friends fell apart and fell away. Application that the real crisis we must face and win takes place not in life, but on our knees. The real crisis we face takes place, the one that we must win, not in life, but on our knees. The end result for Paul was through this horrific experience, this terrified experience, Paul's faith was unshakable. Paul's faith became stronger. Paul became stronger. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul's saying no matter how severe the consequences or, or not the, con- the circumstances, no matter how severe the trial is, if God can bring me out of that, then he can bring me out of anything. His strength is unfailing because his love is unfailing. On him, we've set our hope. This, this father of compassion, this God of all comfort. And remember, God's idea of giving comfort is not making us feel better, but making us stronger. Let me, let me close the message this morning with uh, an illustration I shared with you some time ago. In fact, I even shared it with you in a video, but uh, some of you never heard the story and some of you maybe need to hear the story again uh, for whatever reason. So back in 1992, uh, at the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, Derek Redmond was favored to uh, win the gold in a 400-meter race. As the runners entered into the back stretch, Redmond was leading the pack, but he suddenly went sprawling on the ground in agonizing pain. He tore the hamstring in his leg. Frank, you know about the pain of a torn hamstring. As he lay helpless on the, ta- on the track, the runners blew by him. He attempted to get up in that excruciating pain and began to hobble toward the finish line. The crowd agonized for the young man who was probably going to win that race. Suddenly, a figure ran out from the crowd, past the guards. It was was Derek's father who came alongside of his son, who put his arm underneath his shoulder, and he whispered to him, let's finish this together. The crowd began to cheer and weep. The older man helped his injured son down the stretch to the finish line. I want to tell you something. Nobody was looking at the finish line to see who won the race. They probably don't even remember who, who won the race. Their eyes weren't on the one who was in first place, but their eyes were on the one who was in the best place. And that best place to be is when we receive that kind of comfort and strength and encouragement that comes from our Heavenly Father, who says to me, who says to you, 
When we go through that bridge together, we'll cross it. When we face that problem together, we'll deal with that. Our Heavenly Father will not leave us nor forsake us. What you need to know this morning, what I need to know is that our Heavenly Father is not about making us simply feel better, but he's about making us stronger. And that's what he wants for you this morning. Everything that you're going through right now, the struggle, the disappointments, is helping the pressure to make you more like his son. Trust him. He'll not let you down. Trust him. You will not be confounded. You will not be ashamed. They that put their trust in him. Blessed is the man. Jeremiah 13, I believe it is, says. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, but cursed is the man. In other words, the consequences of putting trust in man or in yourself is a price nobody wants to pay. But those that trust in God, they'll, they'll get stronger as each passing day. So let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the precious word of God that you've supplied for us. I thank you, Lord God, for the grace of God and Lord, how you've been speaking hope into our lives, O oh God, and encouraging us so that we would have hope, that we would be a people, Lord God, that express the nature of your Son even in the midst and because of the pressures of this life, that we know that we can put our confidence and our trust in you at all times. For great is your faithfulness, Lord. Great are you in compassion, but you're also great in faithfulness. And so, Father, we bless you this morning. I just want to encourage you right now, as we get to sing this song, as we stand up together, no matter what you're going through today, look to him. He will help you. He will be your strength. Let's all stand together.